0: To Lawfully Chaotic, Season 2, Episode 17. Uh, we are back tonight. Uh, thank you for indulging us in our week off so that Jason <laughs> could recover from yes, uh, yes. the, the Temmie
1: Rumbles. The yeah. tummy Rumbles. Yeah.
0: But we are glad to be back. Tonight, we are finally going to talk about. Shadowrun, The Sixth World. Let me get the glare off there, you get the idea. Uh, The remake by Catalyst Game Labs, our second Catalyst review after uh, Battletech a few weeks ago. Um, So we are excited to talk about that tonight. Thank you for joining us, Three Miles. As always, you are the first one in the chat. Welcome. Creeper. Um, (laughs) Creeper. Um missed before the we uh, No problem. Um anyway, uh Jason, what uh what's going on other than uh having survived uh, the stomach flu?
1: Um you know it's been an interesting study. Well, researching Shadowrun really opened up my mind to uh the way that uh, publishing houses now kind of manage all these different game publications. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Avalon Hill threw up 25 years ago. And then all these little companies kind of like all have the little pieces of the pie now. So I definitely want us to have a show about I think that. I, I think I dropped my squad leader
0: box game
1: once yeah. and all the shit flew out. And it literally was
0: like <laughs> it threw up because it took me seven weeks to clean I up,
1: definitely, you know? I definitely want to do a show about, you know, we talked about next week possibly doing state of the game. Yeah. And, and talking about um, both uh, the indie and corporate scene of uh, RPG, TTRPG community and see what's going on. And I've done a lot of ancillary research over that. Um, there is a lot of interesting stuff going on out there, and I look forward to talking about it next week. But right now, my life is mostly working on publications. Uh, my first pro to play, Candela Obscura. Uh, game is posted. There are two players registered, and I'm looking to try to get three more players registered. I prefer four or five players for that particular genre. When I'm on it run? When I'm is that game run. scheduled? Huh? When is that game uh, scheduled? Thursdays from three to six. So
0: that would be what time my time? Five to eight. Yeah,
1: because at eight thirty we have the show. same just saying. Um, <laughs> and I've already, and last or this Monday, we played a round of Candela Obscura in my Monday night game. Yeah. And I liked it so much. We may do another one next week. Nice. Monday because we have a couple players that have to miss because they're in the middle of their tourist season for themselves. And I don't mind taking an extended break for playing other games. So uh, the more I play it, the more practice I get. And I, I got to tell you, I'm loving it. Watching them uh, hash out the Action economy—that the way they did. Mm-hmm. They have found a system I'm—I am I'm fascinated by, and I hope to fall in love with. Awesome! Um, that is
0: awesome. Um, Little—I'm uh, going to throw a little plug in there since you—since uh, you brought it yeah. up. But uh, I, um, so I'm working for Darrington Press, and uh, I'm doing a bunch of stuff for Candela. Actually, little snippets of art for the source book. So um, you may actually see my name. In the Canada yeah, we were talking about that, credits. That pretty so cool. So. so yeah, it's it's a freaking blast. I love it. Um, but yeah, I really um, I really loved what I read uh, so far. I think it, I think it's awesome, and, and I'm, I think we I'm eagerly a bit awaiting
1: about the fact that we're now finally publishing on RPG and Co. So yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, we've got um, we've got uh, fantasy towns and uh, our first case number. I'm currently working on the flora and fauna series of adventuring yes um, so uh, check
0: out uh check out playrpg Co. uh there are two uh cases occult cases up there did you publish uh, any of the newer stuff i sent you i have not yet okay. but it will be done uh early next week and now but that i'm are... used
1: to your edits i try to get to the them to you a little bit more cleaner
0: No, I mean, what you've been sending over is great. But there's two Fantasy Towns, uh, Volume 4 and 5, and then two uh, occult case numbers posted up there as digital downloads. So check them out um, because they are – I mean, Jason, you've done awesome work on that. It It was
1: was fun. I'm uh, I'm working on an alchemy system, a tinkering system. I'm working on the flora and fauna guidelines of the fantasy world. It's – now that I'm writing, again, the way I like to write and and focus on my writing um, and – Uh, not having to be bogged down in a lot of development writing, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to,
0: uh, I'm trying to get a bunch of projects off my plate that have been ongoing. um, And I'm finally managing to do that. um, So that hopefully I can just be working on critical role and Darrington stuff and this shit. (laughs) So slowly, but surely I am getting there. Um. But I love I love what you've uh, what you've done so far. So yes, go to the website, check that out. Um,
1: I think that's about it. Should we just uh, should we jump in? I think so. Unless you got anything you want to cover. No. (laughs) No. I I gave my I gave my plug. (laughs) Straight up, no, motherfucker. (laughs) Wait,
0: let me. Has anything happened? No, I'm I'm good. Yeah, so, anyway, um, okay, as you may or may not know, for me personally, Shadowrun has always been my favorite game. Uh, Let me me grab two pieces. Yes, go get them. Go get them. Um, I'm looking... I think my source book, my original first edition source book is elsewhere, so I'm not going to go hunt for it. But... um, when that game came out i believe it was i want to say like 86 jason will probably correct me when he gets back uh when that game came out i mean i immediately i just fell in love with it i remember picking up that book for the very first time and opening it up and just seeing the illustrations and seeing um you know the the mix of of magic and technology and i just fucking fell in love with it in seconds i could not wait to get it home i remember buying it at graham crackers comic books in naperville um where i used to ride my bike to as a kid and i and i just could not wait to get it home and start reading that jason when was the first edition of uh published was it 86
1: uh well i happen to have one yes uh, that's that's uh, it yeah sequence sequence number seven one zero zero um and I believe, if I'm not— Oh my god! I actually remember
0: that fucking number from the book.
1: <laughs> yeah, I. um, Boy, there's so much to talk about. This. Um, yeah, I know. Uh,
0: so, but anyway, point being, it is just always—I just absolutely love the 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 mix of magic and technology in this game. It is so fucking cool. Uh,
1: this copy says 1989. 89, okay. Now, whether or um, not this is a subsequent sequence run, because, you know, in the old, you'd know this better than I do. No, uh, I think 7100 was the, the original book. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right,
0: yeah. Yep, I've got the hardcover, uh, and I've got a, actually quite a stack of source books. I was actually surprised when I dug them out that I had so many. Um, yes,
1: Gar- uh, that course. is correct,
0: Gary. And of course, correct. second
1: edition as yep. well.
0: Uh yeah, the hardcover was the, hard the cover first. Was the first. But that's what
1: I have. So yeah. the soft the soft cover went into an eighty-eight eighty-nine production. I think the hardcover is eighty-six eighty-seven. It could be. I
0: like yeah. I said, I it's I I think it's in the other room. I'm not gonna go get it right now. But anyway. Point being, um, I've loved this game since since day one, and it took a very, very long hiatus um when FASA went out of business. Um, they had a lot of cool games. They had star Wars. Uh, it was high school for us. Yes. I remember that distinctly um, <laughs> because when we stopped playing is
1: when we all went to college. Um, uh, yeah. 86, 87 and the hardcover. Cause usually the hardcover comes out and then two years later they start making corrections. Yes. And they start doing all the soft prints Yeah. Um, because these are the gamer books. These are the books people took to games the hardcover yeah. is what sat on your bookshelf, and you read it, you know. Like the and GMs, is- the G, uh, the players tended to buy hardcover, and the GMs tended to buy softcover because we're constantly yes. um, using yeah. books. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and I read through
0: that, I must have read through that, you know, that beginning storyline of just the background, probably like 20 frickin' times. Um, but FASA had a lot of really cool games. They had Shadowrun, they had Battletech, they had, um, not Star Wars, Star Wars was West End. Well,
1: they had a lot of Roman-esque uh, yeah. games, too. You yeah, know, had they had a lot of weird titles. Yeah. They had
0: Interceptor and Centurion, which were yeah. which were Starship and, and futuristic tank uh, tactical battle games. Um, So there was a kind of a big hole um, when they went out of business. And if I'm not mistaken, Catalyst is the first company, after all this time, to pick up the game again and buy the rights and re-release it. Um, Oh, yeah. Centurion and um, Interceptor were fantastic. Like, let's take a break from role-playing and just blow shit up. Um, They had... Starfleet Battles,
1: I mean... for the they first had the time. Best,
0: they had the best critical charts um both games but especially interceptor because you had to you had to vector your thrust and stuff because it was space stuff so it was a very realistic movement but the the critical charts were literally electronic engineering flow diagrams and you yeah, had templates relay, that yeah uh, it was it was
1: yeah which which to um ugren's Point, that was a very innovative way of doing a damage outcome where you had this vehicle that did damage. You set out the template and the template told you the damage it did. So it wasn't like you had to go find page 82, table 5-A, and then roll a set of dice and determine damage. You know, you had these really quick reference templates that really kept the flow of a tabletop war game kind of going, which is why it was so interesting for me because. Um, the 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 Games Workshop genre, their version of this, um, oh, what's it called? I can't even remember the name of it. But forty thousand. Um, uh, what? Warhammer forty thousand. No, no, they had the what's their ganger version? They have one. Like they had oh, more. Uh, they had they had Mordheim, right, for their Warhammer Fantasy. Mordheim had, was their squad base, not, not Necromunda. Yeah, Necromunga. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Necromunda. Uh, Ogre well, was, Ogre the, was uh, Steve Jackson games. Yeah, it was Steve Jackson, and it was a uh, tank game. Yeah, um, that oddly enough was a very popular linear digital visual visual uh, video game. Yes. Um, yeah, but something I want to preface before we go too much deeper into FASA is the one thing I loved about FASA was that it offered an opportunity for something other than TSR. Right, yes. TSR was going through its its Gary Gygax transition period, yes, um, uh, and it gave us an opportunity to look at something else at the time, right? And if I'm um, not,
0: if I'm also if I'm not mistaken, I would say that other than a lot of companies had one-off games, you know, yes. like Hero Systems and this and that, FASA, I would say, seemed to be the only other company that had multiple.
1: Yeah, White games. Wolf was the other one that started yeah, around that And Night Wolf with... Uh, yes. Torg. Uh, I forgot. White it Wolf was Torg, Vampire. Yeah. And
0: Werewolf. I forgot. Oh, actually, I think Torg might have been West End Games also. So there were a few companies that had a couple of releases and not right. just, you know, built around. But FASA
1: had the biggest license of the time. Yes. Um, Next to D- Dungeons & Dragons having their licensees yeah. being bought up for purposes of third-party use, but you know Fasa had gotten their hands on Star Trek. Yes. And that was a huge license for anyone Well,
0: and BattleTech eventually
1: in the early 90s, you know, BattleTech started to catch on
0: mainstream. Do you remember those BattleTech centers where it was the first like networked video game play
1: where you Might, got to do that in pods. The only way you could challenge the TSR Juggernaut was to have something in your in your in your vault that was recognizable yeah. and everybody knew what D and D was. Everybody knew what Star Trek was. And the fact yeah. that they had such a kind of, um, you know, such a very relevant cultural representation in Star Trek, you know, it, it was, it was interesting, you know, to see. Yeah. The recycle takes it. Anyway. That's the one I'm thinking yeah. of Gary was the one downtown. Yeah. I think we did that
0: a couple, one, at least once, if not a couple times. Yeah. Um, You know, what's interesting also um, that just popped into my head, um, if you look back at the facet titles, so namely Battletech, Interceptor, Centurion, um, all of those had very... Now, granted, those were not role-playing games. Those were tactical battle games, you know, tabletop battle games. um, uh, That um, all had very... And probably because they weren't role-playing, but they all had very um, intricate um, damage and mechanics and very deep, you know, um, uh, like like we were talking about the critical um, charts and all that right. stuff. And it was interesting that, you know, the biggest complaint about Shadowrun was always the mechanics, that they were just way too light, way too shallow. And... Um, you know, the six-sided dice, uh, were not enough with the way they did mechanics. And if you were, you were wired, if you were a wired street samurai, you fucking kicked ass. If you were a Decker, um, you know, it was like you split the party up and you got one person in the matrix and everybody else is doing one thing. And that person is sitting on the side. If you were a rigger, um, in a vehicle, you know, you were basically waiting around till the end of the combat to get in the car. So it was a very kind of fractured, um, um, I don't want to say fractured mechanics, but it was it was it was very it wasn't a very integrated system in terms of party play.
1: A good way that I was culturally coming to what you just kind of came to is that if you look at their titles, right? They did Crimson Skies, Renegade Legion, Vor, Earth Dawn. Demon World, Star Trek, the role-playing game, and the Doctor Who role-playing game, right? That's a facet title as well. Uh-huh. Um, if you look at the majority of their titles, they were tabletop war simulators, especially Battle. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, yeah. And what Shadowrun First Edition felt like to me was that first attempt at writing an RPG. And what they did is they took the mindset of a pre-cognitive type of character like you would a light tank or a heavy mac or a medium sized mac created that character minimized the abilities minimized a lot of the crunch down to the basic necessities of interactive you know rolling of the dice pool and then crossed their fingers that people who ran the game knew what they were doing they put all the onus on the on the gm and that's a huge mistake that's a that's a titanic mistake they did was with- yeah we were lucky because uh, and gary i give
0: you props for this because gary was a, was a, an accomplished you know game master even way back when so we basically for- forced him to run the game for us whether he wanted to or not but because of that we were lucky that we were able to play the game and enjoy it um I mean, we played it for for a while. We had a couple, uh, at least one ongoing campaign that I remember, um, and we and we really enjoyed it. But it was um, uh, like their
1: like their first initial go. Yeah, you did, man. Mostly because we wanted to play, so we forced Gary to run a lot of shows. Um, their first official go was Star Trek: The Role Playing Game in 1982, right? Oh wow, I didn't know that. They then did Doctor Who in 85, they did Mech Warrior in 86, and then they did Shadow Run in 89. Was Mech Warrior in was MechWarrior 86? Was yeah, Mech Warrior was 86. Um because Battletech was in 85. Okay. Right. I thought there so, was a, I thought there was a bigger window between Battletech and Mech Warrior. So they had bifurcated their themes into role playing games, board games and miniature mm. games. Like yeah. Warhammer Fantasy Warhammer 40K is a miniature game. It's not yes. a board game, it's not a TTRPG or RPG. I mean it's it's a miniature game, right? You play yep. with miniatures. Yep. Um but what I thought was interesting with Shadowrun unlike all the other attempts Shadowrun cre- first edition created character um presets. Like the character presets seemed kind of like predisposed and therefore you just picked the right presets and then you ran within the way that the game was run. Now what I've been enthralled in with the whole Shadowrun universe is the lore. And I think what's interesting is because it's not a, um, it's a, it, it, people are descendant from the Mayans and the Aztecs. And I don't know if it's tasteful or not. I haven't decided yet. I've done a lot of research on it. If but this version, used, well, in 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 first edition, they used the lore of the Mayan calendar to be the predisposition of how magic gets back into the yeah. world. I and I, for the longest time, I you know, I know we always talk about cultural appropriation, but this actually did a really good job of taking myth. From another culture, and using it as it was intended to be used from a standpoint of storytelling and was, within, yeah. yeah, that was
0: actually yeah. the biggest reason that I loved the lore. Is the way they created it and the way they explained it. It wasn't yeah. like oh, there was a cataclysm and magic is back. No, it was the it was the ancient Mayan calendar, yeah. um, and the First Nation um Mythology, and I personally thought that that was fantastic because it. This uh, this is I'm not going to get into the deep conversation of cultural appropriation because that is a much longer conversation. Well, of
1: course, it is. However, um, but I but I'm just bringing me, this just to clarify. No, I understand. So, I'm clarifying the point that I felt this was done appropriately. Yes, like it wasn't it? I, wasn't rewritten by. I totally agree. And what it did was
0: it educated people that these were actually things because not a lot of people really actually, it's funny because I had uh so I had an art, my major in college was art, and um a big part of that was art history. I had more hours of art history class than I care to remember, and even as an artist, I can tell you. Uh, that mostly because of the teacher, it was boring as fuck. <laughs> okay. All those art classes, except for one. And that was ancient Mesoamerican culture. Mm. And most of it was architecture and, and the, the culture um, of, uh, or the, why the architecture was the way it was. Right. As it pertains to their culture. And I was fascinated by that. So when I saw this game that used that, um, that, that, Um, background as the impetus for telling this story on why it happened. That was, that was a big part of the reason why I was immediately hooked. And and I agree with you. I think they did an unbelievable job in creating a game mythology based on those very real, um, you know, cultural identities and, and cultural mythologies. Um,
1: Now, and I, was just I will to... express why I had a doubt about its purpose or use. I find it interesting that they did a great job of telling the mythos story of the Mayan culture, mm-hmm. but then immediately used European fiction culture to 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 make the future their own. Right? So Are you talk about there, orcs, elves, yeah, dwarves, elves, and... dwarves, elves, orcs, you know, all that came from. Okay, culture. I. You know, my culture would have had plenty of opportunity. uh, It's a fair point.
0: I think, to be fair, I think that is what
1: people, what gamers. Well, that was the fantasy idea, right? This is more of a reflective approach to understanding how, um, uh, yeah. I, yeah, that too. It yeah. was like, you and, know, and, Seattle is this island in and of itself. and it, it's So the argument world. I made for my research, this was the argument that I made for my research. Yeah. Shadowrun is the most expressed cultural game ever written through a versioning system. Now, when you say a version, what do you mean by that? When you version say one you through, through six. Version, okay. Right. So we have six versions of this game right the one thing that this has that no other game really has is it has a contextual beginning and end through its versioning system through cultural influence now some people would argue that dnd has the same thing my argument is no dnd is fantasy only that's only capable of just telling the hero's story for 45 years If you really look at the. When you say
0: culture, just to be clear, when you say culture, are you talking about what we just talked about, the cultural background of the story, or are you
1: talking about our culture? I'm shifting to gamer culture. Okay. And societal culture in its interpretation of Shadowrun and why I think it's a perfect example of how social culture that plays these games, right? Um, Social cultures that play these games are baked into the progression of these games coming out and who plays them and who doesn't play them. And the reason why the research brought me to that is that every version was a transition period of culture from the eighties to the nineties, to the early two thousands until the super crunchiness of sixth world. Like if you read sixth world scabs on your arm have rules. Right, like and and what this sixth version game teaches us is that somewhere in there is the better version than all the other versions. However, from a mechanical standpoint, it's only true to a point, right? If you look at sixth world lore and how fucking cool the lore is in sixth world, we are back to that substantiated problem that games run into which is they write something that's really good. Their process of improvement is crunchy, 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 crunchy. And as each decade of generation that interacts and plays the game, remakes it and influences how it's being remade, almost inevitably, they go back through the the generational play and try to identify the version That was the most playable, but yet they still want to keep all of the lore condensed into that most playable version. So speaking to the challenges that you have always pointed out with Shadowrun, which is the bloated mechanics that eventually came out of an oversimplified mechanic, right? Like they were too light in the original edition. So they wrote second edition, they wrote third, they wrote fourth, they wrote fifth, and then they wrote sixth. The community treats 6th like we treat treat 4th edition D&D. You just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That's how poorly and that's, it was received. And that's but funny because now admittedly,
0: I, I I couldn't even tell you what 4th and 5th edition look like. Okay.
1: Well, for, I know 5th edition um, uh, brought in the anarchy system. Somebody had developed yeah. the anarchy system and yeah. that was super crunchy and super heavy. Um But to your earlier point, everyone was not fans of, like, The Matrix being a rigger. There were certain things that people just stopped using uh, because it was just – it was too hard to enjoy the game. Yeah. But the one thing I settled on after doing – watching everybody's reviews and um, uh, if you get a chance, check out Pink uh, Fohawk, Really good review on 2nd Edition. Um, I do like 2nd Edition the best from a – mechanical standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I love so, Sixth Edition world lore when it comes to the lore. So, and I think if you put those two together, you have a great game.
0: Yeah, so based on what you just said, it's interesting that the lore survived intact through sixth iterations.
1: Well, and and but here's here's why the lore did. This is what's so cool about It was fantastic. Well, it it's the social fabric that helped the lore get better every time. You know, in the eighties, it was the punk scene
0: mm-hmm. in
1: the night, you know, late nineties, it was matrix. Right. And the two thousands matrix was fairly like fully rooted into cyberpunk and, mm-hmm. and everything else related to Shadowrun. run.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: by fourth, fifth edition, you, you know, you're now scratching at the surface of anime and, you know, post-era anime um, uh, affiliation sci-fi punk uh, manga and, and all of that stuff is really starting to influence 4th, 5th. And it's one of the few generational interpretations of samurai that didn't culturally appropriate somebody's interpretation of it mm-hmm. and kept it true to its samurai lore, but put really cool fucking sci-fi shit on it. You know, and yeah. this, this amazing... Um, Uh, this amazing like journey of tech. Like, what the fuck is a floppy drive? (laughs) Right in the 80s, a floppy drive was everything you could see on Star Trek, it was fucking Mm -hmm. cool, a Mm -hmm. medical pad that you waved over somebody and they were healed, right? That was in the fucking 70s when they came up with that. Yeah. So this game was forced to be reflective at a societal level. Because it was so integrated into the technology sci-fi portion of it. It was. But what amazes
0: me is that even in today's cultural landscape, they didn't sacrifice any of that lore. And they kept it there intact. Um, and I, I, and it is just as good as, as it was well, I'd say one. They
1: did better by adding to it. Yeah. It, you know, they kept adding to that. And then what they did with Shadowrun that I think was brilliant they introduced magic. Yes. That's just fucking cool. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that you could play a cyberpunk, you know, dwarf with a panache for having to live your life through VR goggles, um, you know, and you have a a liquid bag on your shoulder feeding you constant, like, you know, adrenaline chemicals to keep you alive because you, you could only ever exist for up to six months before you, you know, you pass on but yet you exist in this kind of insular reality of a sci- pu- sci-fi punk magic environment where the corporations run everything politics is a dystopian past that's burnt in the rubble piles of nuclear waste and everything's run by Pepsi and Taco Bell and, you know, the, and my it, point is is that who would so have thought
0: fun. that who would have thought that 30 years you know from its first inception I mean, it is still poignant today, if not more so.
1: And that's true because the reason why it wouldn't work for Cyberpunk is because Cyberpunk doesn't have a magic lore, so it's not like you could just right suddenly drop in magic. You know, right. and this, is a, and that's this is another why... good example of why Shadowrun is essentially probably the best sci-fi fantasy game you'll ever play. Yes, because of the lore. Yeah. And I yeah. and the, the only other argument I have is that you could probably use the fate system, you could use Apocalypse, I mean you could use you could even use Cortex. Uh, you could probably even get away with with other core rule systems. Hell, you and, could definitely and, do it with GURPS. And herein comes the, the mechanics aspect of
0: the game. Now I have not played this yet. Okay. I have and I know you have the starter
1: box. I bought mm-hmm. the the, the rules. Which from. we'll talk about why. Starter versus core. So is important to understand. Yeah. So we both talked about how we, you
0: know, we're liking more and more the dice pool mechanics, which they do use, which I think is great.
1: Um, they, they mostly use Edge, right? Is their main thing? So they,
0: you, you have dice pools, okay? That are big. So here, here's what I'll say in just skimming over the, um, you know, reading over the the mechanics at a at a general level. Um, I like that they are more detailed because that was the thing lacking in you know the earlier editions. However, until I sit down and play, they actually seem very confusing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you no, know? and I and I've always said I like intricate uh mechanics systems, but not that that doesn't always mean confusing. So you have dice pools, okay, that are that are as I, as I understand it. That are a combination of certain attributes and skills, and then you have edge. So you have an edge, and edge is like intuition or luck, or you know, just the right. heroes. You know, the heroes like you know Indiana Jones swings on a whip across the pit, and and you know, uh, it, it's just that movie magic, if you will. Right um, now, you have an edge ranking and your edge pool can go up and down and edge can also be rewarded by the GM for anything, role-playing, you know, uh, storytelling, whatever, which is really cool. So edge adds to your dice pool, but there's a number of mechanics and I almost, it, I almost started getting flashbacks of Warhammer (laughs) 40,000, um, which is like, you know, I mean, it takes fifth, it takes 20 minutes to resolve one shot because of all of the fucking, um, you know, uh, layers upon la- <laughs> you can be an edge lord. Yeah, layers upon layers of okay. First, I need to see if I hit with the weapon, and then how accurately I hit, and then how powerful the hit was, and then you do the defense. A- so there's a lot with the dice pools. So you you've got the dice pool. You can add edge to that. You mm. can you can um, augment the dice pools I- uh, in another way. Um, that I don't actually recall at this very second. But so there's a, it, it, it actually, I'm wondering now if it's too complicated. Um, and, and I won't know that until I actually sit down. Well,
1: one thing that's interesting about it that, that, that I like, because I think, I think in general, across all editions, the, the core dice system they used, was, you know, one, two, you know, ones and twos are bad. You know, one, two, threes are bad. Fours and fives, you can get away with it. And sixes are great. Right. So, you know, their idea of the glitch system, whether you kind of glitch versus a catastrophic glitch, Right, which is basically like a critical fail. Right. So, you know, if you're dependent mm-hmm. on an agility roll and your score is a four, that means you get four extra dice in your dice pool right? Or you get four dice in your dice pool. Let's say the weapon you use gives you an extra dice. And let's say the weapon you use gives you an extra edge, right? If it's an agility focus weapon, it might give you even another dice, right? So now you're, 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 you know, you might be throwing five or six dice to resolve a shot, right? And if I remember reading it correctly, it's an aggregated high versus low. So um, yeah, the cascading six. And, so. that's,
0: and that's in here too. If yeah. you, I forgot what it was, uh, I forgot what it's called, but you can you can augment a roll so that if you do roll a six, you keep rolling.
1: Um, right. So that's carry over And, and what I like about this is that in general, every single system out there is all following the same core principle of a, of a dice roll. And that is a degree of failure, degree of success in their dicing system, right? So gerps low, you know, low is good, high is bad. Um, in these d6 dice pool systems, one, twos, and threes tend to be bad. Fours and fives are mixed, and sixes are great, right? So whether it's you know daggers in you know uh, uh, daggers in the dark or whatever that one is called, does the same thing with uh, uh, they use a pool system that's um, not edge, but I forget what it's called. They use a pool system. So, you know, you have edge, like even Critical Role uses Gilded, right? They have a Gilded, you know, pool, you know, Gilded die as part of yeah, their pool. So yeah. if you really look at a lot of these systems that are out there, degrees of success and failure tend to be the core nature of their activity, right? With one exception, D&D. D&D doesn't build systems that way. D& d builds an action economy that's gradually over time gotten bloated mm-hmm. you know, to the point where yeah you either
0: success or fail.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. It, and, and it's all based on a comparative number as opposed to degrees of variations of failure, success, and, I, and mixed success. I still, I don't know, I still
0: something says, and again, I'm not going to know until I actually play, but something says that the D6 dice pool, is is very limited in and of itself because you're using D6, okay? And either you accommodate for that by allowing the pool to grow, and then what happens is, you know, you've got a a wired reflex street samurai, in this case, you know, who gets, who has 17 dice and is never going to miss anything. Or you don't allow it to grow, and you augment it with other things, extra dice from dice pools. And it seems like in order to overcome the inherent limitation in a D6 dice pool—they're adding all the, you know, the gilded, the edge, the weapon, the, you know, the weapon uh, and augmentations on top of that. And like I said, I wonder—I like the dice pool idea, but I wonder if this makes it too complicated. And I'm still—I'm still 50/50 on uh, uh, on whether. Dice pool versus D100 system is the way to go uh in a, in a core game mechanic. I think we can all agree that the d d core mechanic is, has been used to its fullest and worn out.
1: Yeah, and I and I think what's really interesting about Shadowrun's progression through the years and its versioning is that it's a trend that I'm seeing over the last 2 years post well There's the world pre-COVID, right? See, this is what's interesting about a generational existence. And when we start looking at things through generational optics is there was a time when people in the 30s and 40s talked about a pre-influenza period of time because of how much that particular uh, occurrence affected culture, right? The pre-2019 culture and the post-COVID culture and then the two years of COVID culture one of the things that i've noticed about 22 and 23 is that games are beginning to tend more towards storytelling and solo play like the the, the growth of solo rpg shocked me i had no idea there were that many titles out there solo board game or RPG? no rpg solo it's a thing I, um...
0: I fail to see how a, a solo RPG is it's
1: irrelevant because in a, in, a, in our cultural existence, because of two years of a, of seclusion and isolation, whether practiced or not, people found ways to entertain themselves. And, you know, this is, I one would of think, things that, I would think that,
0: I would think that, yeah, I get it. And I, I guess it's just a role playing version of a, of a video game.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, uh, but I found it interesting how popular it's become awesome. and
0: how interesting it's become. That is interesting to me, and, and I, 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 I don't know how that sits with me because to me, a role-playing game, what are you role-playing if you are doing it by yourself? What is the purpose of role-playing? It loses its, it loses its, its magic and it loses its impact if you're playing by yourself. Nobody's going to role-play sitting by know. themselves. So to me, that seems very strange. Um, but the reason I would, why
1: I brought that up is mm-hmm. that watching Shadowrun progress... Um, uh, yeah, no shit. Well, um, that is true, but but that is true.
0: However, one of the things that... You know, we're talking about the COVID period... Which I've said before and I'll say it again was the best thing ever to happen to the role-playing game world. From a
1: remote play perspective, yeah. Well yeah. So now Garrett, when we
0: were kids, it's like, okay, well, there's five of us who's gonna run this fucking game. Now, because because we were forced into this remote play, it is it and I'm not saying, you know, that that it's that finding a DM to run, you know, to, to run a group is easy. But I'm saying the opportunities are infinitely more than they were back then.
1: So, on the whole, dice pool phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the dice matter as much as we'd like to think. Um, I know D and D's brand has really sold the dice community on becoming dice goblins, and therefore, dice take on its whole a, a different meaning to a lot of people. Um, Systems that have degrees of failure, mixed success and success don't need a dice system to support that system. Any dice system can support that system. You can roll a, a, a 01 through 15 and that's failure. You can roll 16 through 52 and that's mixed success. You can roll, you know, uh, 63 through 78. And it's, you know, mixed success with the degree of success. And then, of course, you know, all I'm saying is that the one thing that this dice pool system has going for it, that all the other dice pool systems have going is the fact that they premise it off of degrees of failure, degrees of success, yeah. and mixed degrees yeah. of success, which means that you don't need a comparative number to determine an outcome like you do with the yeah. D20. System. Well, I do like that aspect.
0: I do like that aspect. And that's why I do, I'm not, you know, I'm not discounting the dice pool mechanic. And again, um, and I'm not knocking what Catalyst did um, because I can't make, I can't make a proper assessment um, uh, until I, until I play, you know, just reading the rules is not, um, it, it's not doing it for me.
1: I, I would have to play. I... Don't need to play to know that I think second edition crunch with sixth world lore mm-hmm. makes sense. And what I want to iterate on that is, however, if you've never played Shadowrun before, don't get the core book; just play the box.
0: Okay. So explain to me what is in the. I purposely did not buy the box because I know that you did. So the box has
1: me. a. The box has the quick start guide. Four pre-generated characters. It's the city of Seattle, um, um, and it is a very lean version of the game.
0: Okay, very lean. so it's a, it's it's a lean version of this book because this Correct. is this is core rule book city edition Seattle. Right. And it also does have the four um, basic archetypes.
1: Right. The- this one, I, I think if you've never played before, and you just want to get started with it as a something that maybe you play once a month and have fun with it, I think the box set is perfect. And and once again, I know this game came out four and a half years ago, right? I know this was done four and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to Catalyst Game Labs and you look at their website, um, the you know there's like maybe six or seven Shadowrun publications. And there's like 42 BattleTech publications.
0: Uh, actually, there's a fuckload now of Shadowrun, um, mostly modules and sourcebooks and shit.
1: No, I, I was just on there today, and I went to all four pages of their shop. I saw. There's there's core well, world, there's and Box, and there's like eight publications of adventures. Okay,
0: well, and that's
1: and, and, I, and before, that's part of the problem with Catalyst
0: is you guys you. Just, you got (laughs) to organize.
1: Well, and Catalyst Labs, right? Catalyst Game Labs. um, Clearly their moneymaker was Battletech. And so what they're beginning to do is take a lot of that money that they made off Battletech and starting to dabble in their other licenses that they have um, and experimenting with board games and and, and other things at this point. Um, I think, I think... My hope, and I know hope's a shitty strategy, um, <laughs> I hope that what they do is they look at version one through sixth world uh-huh. and and fix and create a unified final edition. Like, just, just be reflective. Go look at all six editions and compare all the different versioning mechanical shifts. Look at anarchy and just be transparent with yourselves and look at these things through the optics of a generational community and then make decisions based on that and not your personal passion. I think what catalyst gaming lab suffers from is it's run by like four gamer guys that like playing games and that's cool, but that's not how you run a business. Sorry. It's not how you run a business. Mm. If you look at their website, you look at their editing mistakes, you look at some of the stuff that that you know those of us that suffer from OCD, you know that that may hyper focus on. Um, I can appreciate that they have a passion for these games, but you cannot run a company through your through your passion for a game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You either expose yourself to the cultural optics of the success of Shadowrun and understand how important the lore is to the community, and therefore just come up with a unified tactic, like a unified mechanic and action economy that allows the lore to remain center focus. You know what this game
0: would benefit from the most of, of any game out there, in my opinion? Mm. It's a fucking movie. <laughs> Fuck the D&D movie. If there was a, a truly well-done Shadowrun movie...
1: I um, mean, like that ad we showed last time <laughs> from the nineties. <laughs> oh my god, he's so swole! No, I was, there
0: was, in fact, what was um, there was a show that was out a few years ago where it was a, there was a cop um, and there was an orc and he was
1: uh, oh bright, bright, yes, yeah. bright on Netflix um, that,
0: that, that touched upon it. But if you, if you, if they truly made a good shadow run movie that would be just would it? Fucking gangbuster yeah it would come on fucking matrix with orcs and elves and dragons and magic give me a fucking break
1: that i don't know the the term sweet. good movie is so rarely expressed these days well therein lies the problem it would have
0: to be <laughs> a well done movie otherwise it would Look like that fucking ad from the '90s, and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, if I saw if I saw a trailer for a Shadowrun movie, I would probably have the same reaction that I had for the D
1: and D one. Or series like, although it didn't have fantasy or technically magic in it. But if they did a like, I, I think Shadowrun would be would be best served in a animated. Environment, I think. Okay, when I I
0: say movie, I mean something, movie. whatever.
1: I think if Titmouse got their hands on Shadowrun and they had a good, dedicated, um, uh, uh, a good, dedicated, uh, uh, guiding force like Critical Role was with Vox Machnia and like, yeah, uh, and you know, and Castlevania. Uh, the Dragon Prince, like all the cool shit that they had come out with recently, Shadowrun would be a good title for Titmouse to do, because I think um, yeah, just I, I'm a bad person to give an opinion on that, because I really enjoyed Cyberpunk. Um, on, I thought it was fun. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the Arcane, the LO series um, was a piece of art. Yeah. Like, like uh, I mean, arcade,
0: it, it would have to be a piece of art, it would have to be well written. It would, you know, it, I mean, there's so much room for failure. With and to
1: like everyone's point, point, the only thing that I didn't like about cyberpunk is they just didn't make it dark enough. They it, like the whole thing was crunchy eye candy, and you know, you can't just live off carbs alone. I mean, you need protein, you need substance to. You know, the visuals to give you that that immersion into the story. So it was hard to get immersed into the cyberpunk story because of the way they did it. But I got fully immersed into Arcane because the artwork was just so amazing. Yeah. And the story immersion of the conflict and the visceral pain of families being torn apart. And it was just um yeah, Love Death Robots, a great anthology series. Oh, like God. maybe Shadowrun. Would would do well like Animatrix did. You remember Animatrix? Yes, absolutely. Like, Animatrix was a really fun anthology that looked at that the. That would lore, be a perfect Matrix,
0: anthology. Yeah. And
1: then like the, the, the like post lore of the Matrix. So if yeah. you want to take the Shadowrun lore and go up to somebody who did either Love Death Robots or Animatrix. did Ardeen and say, "Hey, here, I'm giving you this content of lore that's just amazing." Just do your artist rendering of this, and I think Shadowrun would do uh, would be a great anthology. Yeah, for that, in, in that purpose. And in that yeah, purpose. I would agree with that.
0: I think it would be. You're right. I think it would be better served um, as an animated uh, anthology. Um, and I and you know what I what I loved about what I love about those you know uh, especially like Love, Death, Robots is um, if Alter oh, see, Altered Carbon was really. Season one was great. Season two is complete shit.
1: Well, see, but that once again that that points that, out a, that, that points out that points out a problem that we have in general when it comes to the purpose of entertainment and and storytelling. Um, Shadowrun lore alone carries this game, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, right. Uh, Shadowrun lore alone carries the game of Shadowrun. You can yes, fuck it does. all you want, yes. but the lore keeps it alive. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, that's, why we, we, I think that's why we put up with the,
0: the questionable mechanics, because the lore is...
1: Now, it, Altered Carbon should never have been seasonal. It should have been this cool 10-episodic story yeah. that should have allowed to develop, peak, and have a great great finish great ending yeah but money people can't get beyond that they can't it's like the firefly effect or the star wars effect or the yeah. they just they want like i'm gonna say something that i may regret in my future but i don't care i i'm guessing i'm gonna back you up on it picard was the ultimate hundred million dollar gaslighting of an entire generation <laughs> Because the entire premise of that show was only old people can solve problems. Young people never see the problems coming. That was the fundamental message. Yeah, I know. Firefly is Confederate propaganda. The, the, the fundamental message of Picard was that we're old. We know it's good for you. You're young and you're going to make mistakes, so we'll fix it for you. It was the ultimate spend in gaslighting and I don't it's just like what the fuck young people aren't capable of knowing that the Borg are trying to take them over what it was (laughs) the stupidest (laughs) asinine (laughs) fucking (laughs) show that was ever developed ever ever Uh, I did not not delve that
0: deeply into it um in that regard. I oh I I was very fire. excited I was very excited to watch it. I was let down only because I don't think it held up to the
1: You uh, don't like watching a 25 year old person with a bald cap on run up a flight of stairs that's no. supposed to be car I can't uh, imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. Anyway um, I didn't like it for other reasons. It was just uh, dumb. It was a dumb, speculative kind of rehash of paranoia and. Well, most I would say most,
0: I would say most movies, that are that are pop culture centric, suck, because of what you said. Because it is they are they are because of the money, okay?
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I
0: think up. I think streaming is uh a much better you
1: know, paranoia. Stage. Paranoia would make a great anthology, bro. That would be. Paranoia perfect. would be a great fucking yeah. anthology with new like new actors and and new kind of like cycled in people playing those parts and mm-hmm. uh all of them trying to solve these paranoid kind of uh adventures. No way anthology would, would be yeah. fucking boss. Yeah. But I think now that I've would, got all 32 think... books over there to prove it. <laughs> but
0: I, I do think that would just be incredible if Shadowrun- You know, maybe it's, it's funny, but I don't know. Maybe Shadowrun shouldn't be a role-playing game. I, I you know,
1: I don't know. I mean, or... it, it feels like as you read it and you, um, yeah, TTRPG version of everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah, we call that GURPS.
0: (laughs) Or or TORG. Or TORG. And uh, my mind has been going there lately, too. That was was my second favorite game of all time, I think, was TORG for that very reason. That was the first instance of, like, a multiverse. Mm. Um, And I just – that's, again, the lore of, like, there's a 1920s noir detective, you know, fighting alongside or figuring out – um uh, a a mystery alongside a, a fucking spacefaring you know douchebag from 3100 you know yeah. it's like that yeah
1: i i mean it's douglas adams all over again with you know uh, thanks for the dolphins or thanks for the fish yeah yeah totally so, uh, the, but what i didn't realize during my research I would love to have a conversation um, Oh the torque bat the tort system was fucking garbage. It was yeah. it was horrendous. Well, once again, Lore can Lore can carry things. Um uh something that got a reboot in twenty twenty two and I didn't even realize it. Traveler. Really? Traveler's been rebooted, it has like twelve books out. Um I, I think didn't know that. I think Evil Hat is doing Traveler. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's Evil Hat. I'll have to re- check my research, but um, let me double-check that. Because if you're looking for something interesting to do some research on... Um... I just...
0: I don't know. I think, you know, it's interesting because we've been playing D&D for so long, arguably, and it is, you know, it is fantasy, okay? It is very, it is very boxed in. Um, and I think maybe that is why um games like shadow run and torg um are are appealing because it mixes genres in a very uh in a very doable way that makes sense you know mm. um i mean the multiverse thing can be good and bad you know it, in movies i kind of think that it's an excuse for lazy writing because you can do whatever the fuck you want uh, in a role-playing game, it opens up all kinds of really awesome possibilities. Um, so that, so that Shadow makes, Run, Shadowrun takes that one step further by not needing to go to that multiversal
1: weirdness, if you will, and just combine it. It, it, it tried a little bit with the Matrix, but the Matrix is just so nutty. Yeah, that, again, even. that
0: was that was there was reason to do it
1: there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I'll say this much about Shadowrun. I could probably take GURPS, the GURPS roll system, and create a Shadowrun game. Um... Yeah, the Flash died. Yeah, exactly. Right and that's
0: why I say it's it's an excuse for lazy well, writing, because you can fuck up and then just say, no, nah, that didn't happen.
1: I mean, Rick and Morty, the success of the Rick and Morty show has proven that, right? It's the entertainment value of the story, right? Because in their multiverse, nothing matters. I mean, the fucking characters say it over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. but yet they're working on season seven, you know? So there's that, you know, there's that uh, there's that whole entertainment kind of bullshit parody in all these games and systems that rely on a multiverse strategy. Yeah. Shadowrun doesn't rely on anything other than the, 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 the mix of sci-fi and magic. Right. And with, with a, with
0: a well thought out reason rationale for why that is.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends, Right five mercenaries could easily solve the problem, but they might just be a lot louder and a little bit more destructive when they, when I, they you know, I, I, you can run four Samurais and still try to
0: I solve it. No, I still, I love the idea of the Decker and, you know, the guy in the chair. It's just didn't work very well in those early editions. I'm not sure how it works in here from, again, from just skimming it seems like the mechanics are still adherent to the basic kind of core principles of the old versions, with just a little bit more levels and detail thrown in. So, I, you know, again, I don't know. I'm excited to play it, um, but I, I won't know until I play.
1: But to your earlier point, when you said maybe, maybe the next iteration of Shadowrun should be like Necromunda. Right. You have these cool miniatures on a terrainscape. You have all these pre-generated, you know, you have all these pre-generated cards with what your characters can do. As much as I love miniature games, Games
0: Workshop has fucked that that well, I don't say they have to
1: do it. Anyone
0: could create I'm not saying they do it. I no, I I think Shadowrun, if anything, it it should be a role-playing game.
1: Absolutely. Should be or shouldn't be. Should be. Okay. It just it needs just, to fix that mechanics. It yeah, needs to it just find, needs. Its, find its place. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I found a new game when it, when it finally is open to the public to purchase. It's not quite there yet. It's on Kickstarter uh, with Free League, um, uh, the Walking Dead RPG game. I just saw that. Yeah. So I will be doing a lot of research on that and – I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of zombie apocalypse games. Um, Huge fan. Um, So if I – and The Walking Dead season one through seven is still a superior show. That was the best show that was ever written. After that, I would say they just couldn't stop writing checks. So it's like just keep this – just keep this cash cow going so that we can, that should definitely have ended at yeah. seven, six or seven. Yeah. yeah. Which is unfortunate because it's okay. Show writers. It's okay to let things end. Endings are not failures. Endings. But like you said, are if the just people yeah. don't win, they don't give a shit. You know, it's like they want to piss and moan about the fact they treat what they do as art And they want to protect (laughs) it as art. Yeah. That if you want to protect it as art, make art, don't make checkbooks because that's what they're doing, and it's fucking stupid. Hundred percent. All right, we did it again. All right. Uh, So
0: I'm not sure what
1: conclusions we actually came to, or (laughs) if I (laughs) will say that they have six great potential volumes of workable mechanics but what they have is probably the best lore that still holds up to this date. I mean, even if you look at their 80s punk dystopian idea of cyber tech, all the way to its modern version of Sixth World, the lore remains intact. Um, the crossing of fantasy with, uh, with technology and the idea of corporate or- overlords and the cyberpunk rebellion continues. The lore is still good, it's still mm-hmm. great. It's yeah. a lot of fun just to read the lore even if all you do is ignore the mechanics. The yeah. artwork is fun. Everything lore and content-wise is great. Why this why this game has never found a system it can it can kind of adhere to to be friendly in its use. You know, I will I say see. though if I do run a Shadowrun game, it's going to be with 6 World lore and I'll use Second Edition rules. I would I would like to try Sixth World as it stands. And if you, and you want World to watch somebody doing some great second edition um, uh, live play, um, check out uh, 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 Pink Foe uh, uh, Hawk. Um, okay. He's only got a couple hundred followers, but it doesn't matter. The guy, they they have a lot of fun. It's vulgar, it's rude, it's crude. Uh, and there's it's the just, it, yeah, they do second edition Shadowrun. Okay. Um, and would, it's pretty fun. I would,
0: I would venture to guess that the reason the mechanics have never got out of the, you know, got out of the, the quack garage, so to say, is because, you know, they were written in edition one. Okay. And you can't fault that it was, Hey, let's try a new set of mechanics. But I kind of feel like it's just been iteration after iteration of trying to improve those core mechanics and maybe those core mechanics are just are just faulty at, at the core.
1: So needless to say I'm taking home some light reading tonight. I'm gonna finally delve into the deep, deep mechanics of second edition. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm going to come up with a house system that will make it playable. Because you've played, you've seen my games. I mean, yeah. some people have like so some people have told me I could take a pile of shit and make it playable. So everything's playable.
0: Everything's you are playable. A
1: master shit molder. I am a master shit molder. <laughs> yeah, M U L D E R. M-U-L-D-E-R. I like M-U-L-D-E-R it, shit molder. Mulder. Uh, Mulder. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I kind of feel like the game is deserving of a of a complete out-of-the-box relook um at a core system. But Again, I'm not panning it. I do want to play it. Um, but I totally agree with you that they have maintained I have saved.
1: I have saved the reference material of ten different systems. You know, between GURPS, Fate, yeah. Apocalypse, Cortex. I mean, there's all these systems that may apply. The Nut to Crack... The Ultimate Nut to Crack, which they have written uh, a 5E D20 rule set for Shadowrun. They've written one. It exists. Mm -hmm. It's not very popular, but it exists. Um, there's, There's no not trying. They've all tried. The question is why is it not working? And I think we could definitively say the lore will work forever. It's figuring out how to play it so that you can continue to enjoy the lore while you're playing
0: it may very well be the lore that is holding back the the mechanics because it could be. you know fighting with a sword is so fucking different than driving a car away from the uh, scene of a crime or jacking into the matrix it could just it could very well be that it's really hard to come up with a system that that is balanced um, you know, across uh, all of those skill sets. I still think okay. you and I are gonna write a system and I'm still convinced that an open skill tree with a very wide range a la Middle Earth role-playing, D100, um, is, is the way to go. Um,
1: By the way, there is a Lord of the Rings. So here are some up and coming games that we'll hopefully be talking about in the near future. Cool, shoot! Uh, Blade Runner, um, Alien. I still want to tackle Alien RPG. Um, Lord of the Rings role playing, five edition, fifth edition. Um, there is Tales from the Loop, which I think deserves some time. Oh yeah, uh, Forbidden Lands, Simbarium, uh, Mork and Bork.
0: I have I have Mork. I yes. have Simbarium.
1: So Mork and Bork also has Cyborg. And now they're getting pirate Bork.
0: I saw that.
1: So I definitely want to take a look at, at the Mork and Bork cyborg and pirate Bork series and see what that's all about. I haven't looked at that yet. Um, and then of course, um, crusader Kings, which is one of those interesting ones that people just don't really talk about anymore. Um, yeah. I would also say that, um, another one that I want to kind of tackle is I'd like to revisit Firefly. Why it hasn't gotten a new edition yet. Um, if you want to know about what the the culture of gaming is rating the 10 through 20 top games right now, go check out dicebreakers.com. Um, we review things from a different kind of lens when we're on this show together, right? We yeah. we like to talk a little bit about mechanics, but we also like to talk about the origin story of lore and yeah. how they affect things culturally and the difference between favorable memories and nostalgia. And while nostalgia is more dangerous than understanding generational play of these games and what does it mean to transcend through so many different generations of play from, from your youth to your preteen to your teen, to your twenties, your thirties, and then eventually into your senior years post like 60, 70 Mm -hmm. and how important gameplay is to our society and our cultures. Um, Without it, we, We lose our ability to imagine. We lose our ability for empathy. We lose our ability for vulnerability. We lose our ability to discourse and communicate with each other. And I will always um, tell anyone, whether it's a board game, card game, miniature war game, tabletop, or RPG game, just figure out some time once a week to play a game because it is always going to change your life. It will change your life. And when you're in that kind of corporate grease wheel of work, live, work, live, work, live, buy your boat, go to Tahoe, work, live, work, live, you know, buy your sand rail, go out to the desert. At some point you gotta remember you got a brain and and it needs that kind of exercise like the rest of us do. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. the elasticity and adaptation of our brain is so important to how we live our lives that if you don't take that moment out for gameplay, you're you're atrophying. You're you're. There's so much more to it than just simply binge watching Netflix. You know, it's like yep. just just play a game. It'll make a difference. Can't TPK,
0: Brian, can't argue with that, and couldn't have said it better.
1: Oh, <laughs> TPK, where can we find you, Brian? Uh, As always, RPG and Co.
0: on Instagram is the best place. Um, Otherwise, playrpgandco.com is the website. Check it out. Uh, We've got a lot of cool stuff published by Jason uh, uh, or created by Jason uh, on there now. Um,
1: So, yeah, and you. Um, You can find me over at my Twitch channel. It has all my links and my abouts. Uh, It'll take you out to uh, just about everywhere I am easier to go there from twitch and find me everywhere um so we're in the youtubes and we're in some of the social spaces um i am a professional pay-to-play dm i currently run eight play games and two private games you can catch us on monday night tuesday night and sunday night on twitch awesome okay tpk, TPK. tell a story play a game and be kind and be kind good Thank night everybody.